We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get to the mailbag. There's been a lot of great discussion so far today, Ryan, but not a lot of questions. So make sure you get your questions in. I do want to make a comment to uh, Jordan here. So Jordan Schreiber says, are you concerned about the coaching staff moving Ryan Barnes to safety? No, because a move needed to happen because Xavier Watts got taken away from the safety position. And as we said earlier, I actually reached out to some people about this. It sounds like it's a cross training Ryan Barnes at safety, then corner, not just moving him to corner. Uh, usually, when you cross train a guy like this, it's because you think that guy can go there and play if the need arrives. So, if they lose another safety to injury, you're going to need somebody, and Ryan Barnes is the guy they're cross training to do that. Uh, so that that now what that also means is that he's not starting right now. He's not. He has not beat out Clarence Lewis. Which I mean, I'm not saying that was a question. It just you're not cross training a starter. And that situation right. is my point. So he has not been able to kind of take that step and, and push himself in the starting lineup, but he has shown enough to say, Hey, this guy can help us. We got to find a place for him to help us at. And now that Xavier Watts has moved to receiver, he's a guy that can help us. So uh, that I want to make sure that we, we get to that. And and then just kind of talk about this a little bit to Ryan from David Jones. B Ryan, have you heard if anyone has taken the lead between DJ Brown, Houston Griffith and Ramon Henderson? Obviously we have not, but my, my question is, is, is and this is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, Ryan. Is mm-hmm. is there merit to even if Ramon did have a big camp, saying there's skill sets that DJ and Houston bring to the table that we've got to utilize, and that's why they're all going to play? Could there be that part of it as well to this conversation? I mean, I think so. I mean, the the what we didn't talk about enough was if there was a separation between Ramon and DJ Brown and Houston Griffith, for for instance if DJ Brown and Houston Griffin still made big strides and they're playing their best version of football, then they deserve to play, right? Like even if it's in a specialized platoon role, whatever you want to kind of quantify it as, I do think that there is merit to, I mean, you can never have enough good defensive backs, right? Like you can never, with how the game is played today. So I am all for it, Brian, personally, if Ramon took a nice step and he has been close to what we envisioned him potentially being this year, but also, DJ Brown and Houston Griffith played have been playing great in the spring, great in the fall, and they're pushing their way onto the field. 
I'm totally okay with it because at the end of the day, you need as many good defensive backs in today's game as you possibly can get. So if they are good enough to play, I'm all for them getting a role in this team. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. So let's kind of go to the next question here as we go to Bill Walsh has a couple questions here. It says, my biggest fear for Notre Dame every season recently is ex- being exposed in the secondary. We always seem to be one injury away from disaster. I hope the season is different. So I had two distinct reactions to Bill's comment. My first reaction yep. is constantly Notre Dame fans have a very weird view of the secondary, which for the most part has been pretty good the last five years. And there's this there's perception that the secondary is not good. They had one of the best secondaries in the country in 2018. Their 2019 secondary was pretty good, had a couple bad games, but was pretty good. Troy Pride was a really good player that year. Tariq Bracey had a really good year. 
you still had Loie Gilman and Jalen Elliott on that football team. You had Kyle Hamilton as a freshman came in, had a freshman All-American season. 2020, it was solid. It was good. You know, had some, again, a game here, a game there. But it was good for the most part. Last year's secondary was a little not as good, right? But there's this perception like Notre Dame's always bad in the secondary, and I don't understand where that comes from because they've had a, some really good secondaries in recent years. But then the second part of his of his comment is where, okay, if that's the concern, then I'm with you. And that is that sure. depth aspect of it. But honestly, this is the first time in a while that I'm actually not concerned as much if somebody goes down. Now, if Cam Hart or Brandon Joseph go down, that's a different story, right? Because they're really, really good players. But I do feel like they're not, they're going to put a good football player in the field. Or, or let me rephrase. They're going to put a talented football player in the field mm-hmm. if one of those guys goes down. It's just there is a big drop off between one and two. Even though this is the most depth that Notre Dame's had in a while, if we're being honest and objective, there is a big drop off between one. Like, this isn't like a thing where if Isaiah Foskey goes down, that's a really big loss, but you're trotting out Justin Adamiola and Jordan Patelho and Josh Burnham. You're going to be all right there. You're not going to have Isaiah Foskey type dominance, but you're going to be all right. That's not how I feel if Brandon Joseph or, or Cam Hart go down at this point in time. So it that is it is very similar to kind of how we felt in 18. Really good secondary. Better not lose anybody because you just right. didn't have that depth of, of impact players. So um, I, I don't know what your take is on that, but that's kind of how – I think this is the last year I'm going to feel that way. I will say that. I think well, starting I next they- year you're going to feel a little bit differently about it. But I, I even think, Brian, like this year, I mean, the cornerback depth, I feel like this year is better than has been in several years, I would say. I yeah. mean, because, I, I mean, again, having. But it's like again, what you I, talked about earlier, yeah. though, Ryan. It's unproven. This is what, you know, what you said earlier. It's, it you're, you're, you'd have to be relying on a lot of young players to step in the lineup. And sure. that's the thing. But just depth wise, numbers wise, it's, it's not the issue it's been in the past, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's where I was going to is, is you already said it, right? It's. If if Notre Dame does have an injury and at cornerback, let's say, you're going to bring in another really talented player onto the field. There's no doubt. I do feel, though, that there has been moments where if there was an injury cornerback in the past, you're putting a guy that maybe shouldn't be playing right now, you know, and not playing because it's inexperienced, but just not playing because he's probably not a talented enough player to be the guy on the field at that present moment. Right. But Mm -hmm. Jane Mickey, I think is extremely talented. I think Benjamin Morrison's extremely talented. I think, I think Phil Riley has a lot of talent to him. Ryan Barnes has talents. Uh, Chance Tucker has talent. All these guys are pretty talented players inexperienced, hundred percent, not arguing against that. Like they just haven't played much football, even the older guys in that group. Right. But I do think that there's more depth than there has been. But to Bill's question, Bill, I do agree that, and to Brian's point, also just kind of reiterating it, if there's an injury to Cam Hart or Brandon Joseph, then you're in a little bit of trouble. I mean, like, let's call it what it yeah. is. Like, you need guys to step yeah. up quickly because those guys are your dudes. Those are your dudes in the secondary. Mm-hmm. And they need you need the you need dudes in order to to be the best version of yourself. But we started off the show by saying what, Brian? that the reason that you think it's at least a good secondary is because you have two dudes. If right. you don't have those guys, then there's right. a small margin. normally with two dudes, you're talking about it being a really good secondary, but we're not sure. there yet, which is why it shows right now from what we know, there's a big drop-off between one and two and everybody else, and that's the concern. Now, hopefully it won't, we won't feel that way in the middle of the season, but again, where we are now, that's a problem. 
That's a problem. Yep. And I'm not ready to 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 throw in Jaden Mickey as okay, go replace Cam Hart and be Cam Hart. Sure. That's not what you want to be asking him to do. Now you're not putting him in a situation where you're going to be able to get the most out of him as a young player. And that's where you start getting a little bit concerned about what this team is. So they're going to need those guys. They're they're going to need those guys healthy. That's going to be mm-hmm. a, a, a big part of this conversation. There's no doubt about that. And then here's an interesting question, Ryan. And, and I want you to, I've talked about this before. I want you to answer this from a defensive coach. Cause you used to coach defense in high school and you play defense. I want you to speak to this because one of the big, biggest criticisms I've had of Notre Dame in recent years, and you know, there's a lot of talk about Brian Kelly because you got LSU fans are all sensitive. There is a guy in here, uh, Greg, that's been in our chat who has been very respectful, and that's why he's still in the chat, not booted like all the other LSU fans. So we certainly appreciate that. But you know, one of the critiques I've had of Brian Kelly was he he didn't make good hires. Which guess what? Other coaches don't make good hires sometimes. All of them. Nick Saban's made bad hires. Urban Myers made bad hires. Dabo's made bad hires. What those coaches did was quickly learn, re- recognize it, and fix it. Brian Kelly didn't. And so last year, the Notre Dame's offensive line and receivers were incredibly poorly coached. I've talked to sources that have said that impacted the team. I've made the argument that impacted the team. I want to hear from you as a defensive guy. What is the impact, positively or negatively, when you are going against a group that is either A, not talented, which is not the case for Notre Dame, or B, really poorly coached and kind of soft, which is true of what – and I don't mean soft in like the – the the um, that might not be the word to use because of how that, that people perceive what I mean by that. Not soft and like, oh, you're soft, you're a pansy or whatever, but more of just like not aggressive, not physical, just passive. not a get after passive. That might be a better way to say it than soft because I don't, I don't mean it how soft is often implied. Passive is a great way to say it. So, what does that do for a defense when you're talking about getting ready for Saturday when that is what you're facing every day? Well, I, I think that if you don't, if you're not pushing players to a limit, then there's no growth that happens, right? I mean, I, I think of it as I've coached some kids where like, they go to the, they were in the weight room, for instance, right? And they're bench pressing. And let's say they have like 275 on the rack and they're pressing it easy. And then they just stop there, right? Like they're not like, why aren't we putting more weight on there, right? Like test your limits, see how good you can be. And that's the same thing in practice. If Cam Hart is playing against a wide receiver that has bad technique, right? For instance, can't get off a press, route running is just inconsistent, doesn't get in and out of breaks really smoothly. He doesn't have to press hard to be able to stop that player, right? Like he doesn't have to press hard to be able to cover that guy because he's so naturally gifted. Like he can just be lazy in his pedal, but his click and close is just good enough where he doesn't have to have the finer points to play in the position. But when you're playing against a really good wide receiver every day, that's also technically sound. Think again of a Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's the guy that I keep coming back to from a route running perspective. You have to be on your game all the time. There is a cap to how good a player can be despite even if they're the most talented guy that's ever lived, there's a cap if your technique is not good. You can only get this far with just subpar technique and just pure athleticism. Mm -hmm. The truly great players have both those things, right? They're very talented, but also they have a very good technical background of playing their position. That's how you become a really, really great player. And I think that you can see that in last year. Like, cornerbacks need to be better in press situations because they knew – that they didn't have to do much to throw off a wide receiver in practice because they didn't know how to get off press. They didn't know how to get in and out of the breaks. You're not 
stressing someone to a point where they have to work to get better. They can just win off of natural gifts. So if you're playing a team, a player, a position that's poorly coached, I think that you're not only limiting the impact of that position, but you're also limiting the impact of the, of the position that opposes them on a day-to-day basis. So I think it's very impactful. I think the fact that we have seen Braden Lindsay and the rest of the wide receiver group be more nuanced and advanced in their understanding of how to play the wide receiver position is going to push Cam Hart and Jaden Mickey and all those players to be the best version of themselves and to really in, to really tone in on their technique. Because without their technique, Braden Lindsay's going to run past you. Right. It's a 4-4 kid, right? Lorenzo Styles is going to run past you. Like those guys are going to be if here. they if know they how to play. Right. Proper technique. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And when you in the thing, I think I'll add to that, Ryan, is when you're playing. So like you let's take Ohio State's Notre Dame's next opponent. We've talked about this. Brian Hartline, they like they didn't just dominate a receiver last year because they're talented. Like they're talented, sure, but they know how to play. It's like the Alabama receivers. I've talked about this in 2020. It's not just that Devontae Smith was super talented, right? And it's also that that kid knows how to play the game. Like Ohio State's receivers know how to run routes. They know how to get open. They know how to find soft spots in the zone. They know how to play. They've been coached well. When you're going against kids who like Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsey, who are athletic but don't know how to play, don't know how to go off a press, and it's easy for you to get up in their ribs and to, and to jam them up, it's you're going to think you're playing Marvison Harrison Sr. when you get to Saturday. And that's the point, right? And meaning like those routes are going to look even more holy crap when you're not seeing that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that's the mm-hmm. reality of it. And so sure. when you are – and the same thing in the offensive line. When the first time you've got punched in the mouth as a defensive line is on the first drive of a Saturday afternoon game, that's a problem. But Mike Elko, we've talked about this before. Mike Elko would talk about how when you get to Saturday playing against Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey during the week, Saturday was the easy part. You know, you know what I mean? Like, And even then, you look at that 2017 team, yeah, okay, you're you're facing those guys on, on you know you get to game week you're not playing them but you know who your scout team is it's Liam Eikenberg, mm-hmm. you know it, it's 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 Josh Lug it's Aaron Banks it's guys that would eventually become starters and NFL players those were your scout team guys and they had that same Harry Men- he stand mentality even though they were mm-hmm. on the scout team and that's the difference and that's where you you've been you've been lacking that to be honest with you in recent yeah. years so that's where you know that's where things are going to have to get better. So uh, good, very good, very good question there. Very good question. Spartan B88. Hypothetically, if the corner position underperforms or is meh injuries aside and recruiting uh, is more the same at cornerback, does that mean Mickens moves over to being on a hot seat? So I want to address this first part. Yep. Recruiting 2023 class aside, I don't think you can put the 2023 class aside because we just got done talking about how arguably two of the three most talented players on the roster at corner are 2022 kids that Mike Mickens recruited. Got to remember, Mike Mickens put together a pretty good first class. Ryan Barnes had offers from Clemson, Georgia. They beat some good teams out for him. They beat out. They beat uh, Washington for Chance Tucker. That was when Jimmy Lake was still there. That's a that's a big win. Philip Riley they flipped from USC. That was a, and you got to consider, do you know how many off-campus visits Mike Mickens made that entire year putting that class together? Do you know how many visits that they had kids coming on campus during that first year putting that class together? Zero, because that was the COVID year. And so I think he's proven that he can recruit. And I also think he's been a better secondary coach than people are giving him credit for. Because, I mean, you look at what he did with Nick McLeod. 
Nick McLeod came over and constantly – Nick McLeod was a nice player at NC State, but he constantly got beat, constantly, mm-hmm. especially by speed. He was a good football player for Notre Dame. He was an, hey, look, Nick McLeod spent five years in the ACC. There's only one year he was he made the all-ACC team. That was playing for Mike Mickens, right, because his last year was when they were in the ACC. I think he did a great job getting a kid like Tariq Bracey, who mentally checked out in 2020, to back to playing the way that Tariq did last year. He took a cornerback in Cam Hart, who literally played wide receiver the year prior, then missed a whole year of COVID and turned him into a, a kid that, if he was in the conference, would have been an all-conference caliber player. I think Mike Mickens has done a pretty good job so far. And Clarence Lewis was playing before he should have been playing, not because of anything Mike Mickens did, because of recruiting issues on previous coaching staffs. So, no, if it underperforms, that's a problem, and that's going to have to get addressed. But does it put him on the hot seat? No. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it would be a surprise, to be honest with you, if it underperforms relative to the talent level that you have on the roster. That that would be what I would look at for that. But no, I there's no way I'm I'm putting Mike Mickens on the hot seat until we've seen at least a full year with him coaching Mickens, uh, Morrison, Gray, and Bell, in my opinion. But I, I think he's done a better job than people give him credit for. And I think the issues they've had recently are more about talent and circumstance than they are about anything that Mike Mickens is doing, in my opinion. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, he. I mean, he walked into a position where he needed Nick McLeod, right? Like, yeah. They needed him to play. Yeah. It was like, yeah, Cupper was bare. I mean, let's call it what it is. And the fact that Clarence Lewis was pressing the action so early tells you. I mean, everybody in this chat wants them to wants Clarence Lewis to be replaced. Well, that was the best that Mike Dickens had at that point, right? Like, I, so I do think that there is some leeway that needs to be given because I don't think he was dealt the best hand when he first got in here. Let's see what that hand looks like in a year or two when he's got those 2022 mm-hmm. kids trending, those 2023 kids yep. are in the building. I, I do think that he deserves a lot more time than that. Yes, and and agree. just, I mean, just a little well, not bit just deserves more time. He's done a better job than people are giving him credit right. for. That's the whole right. point that I'm making. Yep. And, and the issues at safety aren't about him, that he's not the safeties coach. So I actually think the coaching has not been my issue. It's been mm-hmm. – there were some scheme things, I think, in the past where you're like, well, you're trying to run one thing and you don't have the players to do that, and it's a it's a challenge to say because the problem that they – that like Marcus Freeman had last year, for example, is in order to play to what Clarence Lewis does best, he has to then alter what everybody else does best because – you know what I mean? Like, and that's the dichotomy. Everybody says, well, you, you know, play to your player's strengths. But what if that one position doesn't have anybody that can play a way that fits what everybody else does? You know, it's 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 a it can definitely be a challenge. Here's the next question, Ryan. Uh, DJ Wilson says, and, and I don't kind of understand this question. DJ Wilson says, Estime, Audric Estime is the weapon no one is talking about. Do you think he can affect the Ohio State game? DJ, I don't you know if you've been out for a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been uh been out for a while. Uh, we haven't seen you in the chat for a while, but we've been talking about Audric Estime a lot this all season, Ryan. Yeah, no, he's he's been my breakout guy all, all offseason, right? Like I, I think he's kind of become a he's become a, a pretty big favorite of a breakout guy from from most of like the Notre Dame fan base at this point. But I expect Audrey Gestime to potentially be the lead back by the end of the season. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all if they're mixing in his power kind of 
featuring it and then also mixing in like Chris Tyree's ability to create big plays and use them in the passing game and do all that type of stuff. I think that SMA has, a, I think he has a really nice potential to be a big time player for Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, look, he's going to be a, he's going to be a key part of this backfield this year. I mean, he's going to play, he's going to play a lot. He's going to get a lot of touches. Uh, Dylan McCullough's raved about him. Um, mm-hmm. Other players have raved about him. We've seen a lot from him. We've talked a lot about him. So, I mean, he's going to play, he's going to play a lot. You know, I think he's going to be part of a backfield rotation and what I would what I would encourage people to do, because what I'm seeing is this a little bit of this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. You're starting to get into these like team Tyree and team Estime and team Diggs people. And yeah. don't. They're all gonna play. Team they're everyone. all needed. Yes. Team everyone. It's team <laughs> running backs. You know, they're gonna need yeah. all of them. They're gonna need Chris Tyree's skills at, in certain situations. They're gonna need Audric Estime's skills in situations. They're gonna need Logan Diggs' skills in certain situations. You know, I could rank all three of them and, and have a pecking order. But the reality is that's not how football works. There's going to be games where they're going to need Audric Estime to be that dude. There's going to be weeks where they're going to need Logan Diggs to really take the burden. There's going to be near days where they're going to need Chris Tyree to be that guy. And it's going to be different from, from other things. So, uh, And then DJ followed up with, I meant in the context of all other media, he's not even mentioned. I know IB is – I don't know what other that's people fair. are or aren't saying. So all, all I'd ask is maybe next time kind of say that, uh, you know, a little bit clear because – I only know I've said this before. I don't listen to other Notre Dame channels. I and I don't expect national people to know that a kid who carried the ball seven times for sixty yards last year is going to be that guy, right? I mean, in fairness, there's 130 teams they got to cover. I don't expect them to get in that kind of minutia. If they don't know who Chris Tyree is, that's a problem. The guy's got two 90 plus yard touchdowns in his career. You should freaking know who that is. You know what I mean? Uh, you should know who Lorenzo Styles is and Braden Lindsay is. They've had impact plays. I don't expect them to know about Audric Estime. Well, he's it, from Jersey. They should. Well, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, you Northeastern people thinking that you rule the world. Uh, but uh, I just don't, I just, you know, I don't know what other people say, DJ, but let's just put it this way. Whoever isn't talking about him now will be talking about him by the end of September. I'm pretty sure of that. I, I, is that, is that fair thing to say, Ryan? Yeah, that's very okay. Fair. It's very be fair. talking about yeah. they'll definitely be talking about him by the end of September. Oh, yeah. there's no oh, doubt yeah. about it. There'll be and, so many thunder and lightning comments yeah. by oh, the end gosh, of the year. <laughs> Hopefully, it's by the end of September third. But you know that's sure. you know we'll see. Sure. Uh, Guinea Pig Clip says I'm unclear on the running back depth chart entering Ohio State. Who's injured? So right now, the only person injured is Jadarian Price, the freshman. So mm-hmm. you're going to see definitely Chris Tyree, Audric Estime, Logan Diggs. Pick an order. I don't really care. You're going to see Jabron Payne potentially this year, but hopefully not in meaningful snaps. But I would yeah. like to see Jabron get on the field, get some playing time. I just hope it's not in a situation where he's put on the field because you have to play him. Right. You know, I'd love to see him get in games and, you know, get some carries late in the game because it's been a long time since he's played healthy football. And you, you and I both like Jabron Payne a lot, but I'm a year away from really kind of anticipating him really making a push just because he just hasn't been playing a lot of football in recent years. That's really what it boils down to. Alex Rohr has a two-part question. He goes, not sure if you guys talked about this at some point, but have you all seen the new clips from Rico Flores so far this season? Dude looks bigger, uh, faster, and stronger. And part two is his top-end speed might not be elite, but, his, but man, his explosiveness and his cuts sure are. I, I think for me, Brian, the, the thing I like most about Rico Flores is he is explosive, but he gets to his top speed very quickly. Right. Like I think you saw that in the 71 yard touchdown where he just ran a skinny post 
And as many that he kind of collects the pass, just the instant acceleration is great. I don't think that he is, to your point, Alex, like I don't think he's the burner of all right. burners, right? But like I think that his speed's good enough, and I think that he does have a lot of instant acceleration to him. So I think he's going to be able to create – some explosive plays at times because I think that he just gets to that top gear really quickly. So he, I mean, he, he knows how to play. Game. I mean, this yes. is what we talked about earlier. He knows how to play. He knows how to run routes. I mean, it, his for a high school kid, that stem on that post route was pretty good. I mean, his mm-hmm. top end getting out of it was pretty good. He get the, Because you talk about how, you know, once he gathered the ball, what I was impressed by is once he got that guy to flip his hips, you saw him go from on him to gone. And that's really where you want to see. That's where, that's where things kind of get turned into big plays. Can I beat you out of the cut? Can I breach you out of the break? If I can get a couple steps on you out of the break, chances are, you know, I'm, I'm going to beat you. And that's what we've seen from Rico. The kid knows how to play. He just doesn't have the ceiling that we see from other guys. But sure. kid knows how to play. He's strong. The, th- the thing about – I don't know if he looked faster to me per se. What he looked to me was definitely stronger. Like yeah, Rico definitely has filled out and looked stronger. And we didn't see any lack of – burst or explosiveness or quickness relative to last year is he a little bit bigger i mean just normal junior to senior strides for me from the athleticism standpoint but the the strength part however is the thing that was noticeable i mean he just looked different yeah on his senior film i mean forget the route and the catch and all that it's high school football right but you watch him just in a stance like oh, okay rico's filled out a little bit like rico's put on some good weight okay can he still move Yep, he can still yep, move. He can still right. Move. <laughs> so uh it was it, it, it that was a good pickup, a very underrated pickup. The perception because you know Ohio State dropped them, Georgia dropped them, all that. But that's a good football player. And if that's your number three receiver in a class, which he is, arguably four, depending on you know how you view Dylan Edwards, you're mm-hmm. do, you're doing pretty good at wide receiver recruiting. There's no doubt. And I'll say one more thing about Rico Brian that I think that he's very comfortable in his own skin. And when you're comfortable with who you are and your ability to play the position, you play faster, right? And I yep. think that he plays faster than he may actually be. But I think that's a confidence thing, and he's a very yep. confident kid. Yep. Uh, we have someone called Irish IQ jumped into our chat today, and he said, "Here for my daily dose of Irish talk since it's summer and there's no games to watch." I have no clue who this is. However, he listens to our show and he just launched his own YouTube channel. So I think he's got one video out. So um, I always encourage people that want to get into this and entrepreneurs and people who love football. uh, And he gave us a shout out on it. So I wanted to give him a shout out. So uh, good luck launching your channel. As I said to you yesterday, it's a lot of hard work, but it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding and it's a lot of fun. So make it fun and, uh, and good luck to you as you, as you try to grow your channel and, and uh, get it continue to, to talk Notre Dame football. And we appreciate the fact that you swing by here into our show as well. So I appreciate you very, very much. So give his channel a, a, a check it out, folks. Check it out. He just, I think, again, I think he just started it, I think this week, just I saw one video on there. Uh, so definitely, definitely give it, definitely give it a look. There's no doubt about it. Here's an interesting one from Benjamin Carchi. He says, what is the sideline atmosphere like during game day? Could we see a change in that with a new coaching staff? It varies team to team. I, I like a sideline that is uh, – I, I know a lot of people like like a really fired-up sideline, and, and I know at the Division three level we really wanted our sideline to be louder. That's because we didn't have – we had like 3,000 people, 5,000 people in the stands, not 80. Sure. You know, your, your energy in that regard has to come from the crowd, not the sideline. I want guys that are engaged, guys that are locked in. Think, nothing drives me more nuts looking at a sideline – then turning around and seeing guys who just, I don't care about rah-rah, but I better see you locked in on what's going on. 
You know, I don't want to hear a lot of chit-chatting and about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. I hate looking over and the offense is on the field and you got a bunch of offensive players standing in the back not paying attention. That stuff drives me nuts. Uh, you want them engaged? Because what can happen is, like, let's say, for example, uh, Jared Patterson comes back for the Ohio State game and Andrew Kristoffic is not starting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Andrew doesn't play any snaps that game, hypothetically. That doesn't mean Andrew can't help you. He's watching. He's locked in. He's seeing things from his vantage point. Hey, just so you know, this is what I'm. What I saw. This is what you're seeing. That Jarrett Patterson may not see because it may have happened on the other side of him, or it's happening outside the tackle, or things like that. You mm-hmm. want to have those guys engaged. You want to have them communicating. You want to have a coach that trusts them to say, "Hey, I need you locked in because you may be helping us out." And then if those guys aren't locked in, Ryan, when an injury does happen or they need to go in, they're not as there's not as cued in on on things. So nothing bothers me more when I was on the sidelines as a coach than looking around or and for me, I could see all of it because I was up in the box. And so I could look down and be like, you know, hey, so and so remind such and such that I can see them not paying attention. You know what I mean? Like the offense is down here and I got these two receivers way down on the opposite end chit-chatting. I don't know what they're talking about, but it ain't football because they're not where they need to be. They don't know the play call. And that stuff would drive me nuts. So I don't know what it's going to change with the coaching staff. I just hope that they're locked in. I don't know if sideline demeanor was a problem under Brian Kelly. Uh, I mean, his sideline demeanor was a problem, but <laughs> Notre Dame never had a problem when a kid's number had to be called if he was or wasn't ready. I, I never, I never saw that as a problem. So I'll tell you what, what drove me crazy is of course my, my coaching experience was on the high school level and you know, you're dealing with a lot of immature kids at that point, you know, a lot of 14, 15 year olds. And it also drove me absolutely crazy, Brian, to your points where they're just kind of goofing around laughing at weird things off to the side. Like mm-hmm. teenage boys are weird, man. They're weird sometimes. <laughs> so it's, it, it gets weird on the sideline at times. Yeah. It does. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, Jay Henry says, what's a good prediction on forced turnovers by the secondary? Any way we get more INTs and forced fumbles? I mean, do you kind of have a number of that, Ryan? I mean, not really. You know, I, last I, year. Go ahead. No, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do the math in my head, right? Like, I, I mean, 15 plus interceptions, right? Is that, That's a good number for a season, I would think. I'm trying to think like from a national perspective where that might rank. I feel like 15 plus is a really good number. I could be wrong though. Yeah. I'm trying to look at last year's numbers and mm-hmm. seeing where Notre Dame was last year. Cause they were, they were pretty, pretty decent at forcing turnovers last year. They weren't great, but they were good. Uh, so I'm trying to see the total gain turnovers. They were 11th mm-hmm. uh, and they forced 25 turnovers. That is a little bit misleading because they had a couple big games of turnovers but i mean last four games of the year they were two 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 they had 10 fumble gains and 15 interceptions the interceptions were kind of split i mean you had let's see five seven uh eight nine ten by the secondary five by the linebackers and you know you'd want to see maybe 10 to 12 interceptions this year by the secondary you mm-hmm. want to see, you know, four or five fumble recoveries by the secondary, I think is a really good year. And when it comes to just secondary production, if they can do something like that, then that's a really, really good year of production from the secondary. So 10 to 15, inter- 12 to 15 interceptions, four to five fumble return, f- fumble recoveries is kind of where, where I want to be with that group. 
I was just for fun, Brian. I was trying to look up how many interceptions that 2012 team had since Manti had seven himself. We have 11, 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15, six, only 16. I actually thought it was going to be more than that with the seven by Ma- by Manti, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was 2012 that year. 2012, yeah. 16 yeah. interceptions. In Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's secondary has not been great in the past at forcing turnovers. I mean, 2020 was really bad. Notre Dame only had seven picks in 12 games in 2020. That was mm-hmm. really bad. And th- th- four of them were by non-defensive backs. It was a problem. Uh, so that is definitely something they need to get better at. In 2019, they only had nine interceptions in 2019. That was the one knock that I had on Clark Lee. Well, one of the knocks I had on Clark Lee's defense. And, and again, Clark Lee was a very good defensive coordinator. So this isn't sort of like revisionist, oh, he wasn't that good. Every coach has no coach is perfect. Everybody's got their, you know, their their like for whatever reason, Bill Belichick just struggled with Mike Shanahan's offense. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's the offense he had problems with for so many years. And, and so uh, it, it's that way, right, Ryan? So this, this but mm-hmm. they weren't great at forcing turnovers. They just they just weren't. And and you know, I thought the the 17-18 teams weren't bad at it, but the secondary for Notre Dame just wasn't great, at, especially when you consider the kind of pass rushes they had. You know, like you look at that 2018 team, they had a pretty good pass rush that year. They only had 12 interceptions that year. And, you know, two of them were from you – know, one was Julian Lockwar, the other one was from Tavon Coney. You know, so, uh, you know, that was the year Julian Love was an All-American. He only had one pick that year. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had – three the year before i mean julian love had a lot of pass breakups he didn't pick off a lot of passes in his career it just seemed like it because every time he did pick one off he took it back to the house or you know took it, it back impactful. close to it you know yeah. so like he had four interceptions or three interceptions in 2017 two of them he returned for a touchdown that was against michigan state and nc state the third was against wake forest he ran back inside the 10 you know what i mean so like you just remember them because they were impactful more but he didn't have a lot of them and that's that's something I would like to see them be better at. It you're not going to see that though if you're playing a lot of man coverage. You're not going to mm-hmm. see a lot of secondary interceptions if you're if you're getting a lot of man coverage. Uh, let's see here. Dave Grau asked this. Ryan, how do you see our yes. secondary matching up with Smith and Jigba, Harrison Jr. and Fleming? Who covers who? I mean, Dave. So if if we're basing it off of what we saw last year, I would say that again, Smith and Jigba played most of his snaps in the slots. Marvin Harrison Jr. has the best profile to be mm-hmm. that traditional X or, you know, Notre Dame calls it a different thing, obviously, but boundary. I'm a boundary guy. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then you have Julian Fleming, who's going to play more to the field. And I imagine a Mecca, a Buk- a is how you pronounce it. I think. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So a is going to kind of play more to the field with Julian. I think that a Mecca could also play in the boundary a little bit, but for the most part with these three, I think you have, Smith and Jigba slot, Harrison Jr. boundary, and Fleming to the field. So in that situation, I actually think that you're going to have Cam Hart, if you're doing the traditional boundary to field combination, in that situation, Cam Hart's going to be more to the field. So that would be more where like Julian Fleming and Mecca Mecca are kind of sitting. Harrison Jr. right now is going to be more of a Clarence Lewis type of situation because Clarence is going to play to the boundary for the most part from what we're hearing. And then you're going to have Smith and Jigba, if he is more of the slot type, is going to be a Tariq Bracey type of matchup or occasionally whoever they have in the the slot as the rover. You know, or maybe it might be a safety at times, Mm -hmm. but that's traditionally what you're going to see if they play 
similarly to where you saw them last year. Again, Smith and Jigba might play more positions than he played last year. Marvin Harrison Jr. might play a little bit to the field and not just into the boundary. But stylistically, where they seem to fit best, that's kind of where I see them matching up mostly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got a few more here and we got to run. Let's see here. Guinea pig clip says, how many times is Stroud sacked? I think Foskey will get at least two. I'm going to let you comment on that, Ryan, and then I'm going to take my shot at uh, sort of my my response to that kind of question. I, I think it's more impactful in this question of how many times you get to CJ Stroud, not necessarily how many times he gets you put him on the grounds from a sack perspective. So I think quarterback hits matter. I think hurries matter. I think all of it matters to the question. I would set the over-under on three and a half sacks on C.J. Stroud, but I don't think that that is the entirety of the impact. Notre Dame has to be constantly harassing C.J. Stroud. It doesn't have to just always end in sacks, but sacks are important at times. So I'm going to say over-under, I'm going to set at three and a half, Brian. I'll say I'm going to go over there, and they have four sacks on C.J. Stroud. Interesting. I don't know how many sacks you're going to have, and I don't care. I'm not a big sack guy. I knew that was coming. Yeah. I knew that was coming. Yeah. I'm not a big sack guy. And you said it kind of at the beginning. If they hit him 12 times, but only sack him once, I don't care as long as it results in incompletions and, and turnovers and, and negative plays. That's what matters most to me. Now, sacks are important if you have a shot at one. What I do, what I hate about it is when you have a chance for a sack and you miss, and then the guy goes, takes off running. That's a problem. My point is more of I've seen games. NFL, college, whatever, where a quarterback only gets sacked once or twice, but he gets beat up the entire game. Like that's more what, and I've also seen games where a team has four sacks and it was like three third and tens. And at the end of the first half, as the guy's running around to try to get time for Hail Mary, well, you didn't really have a great pass rush. Guy threw 45 times, you had four sacks. And, you know, like three of them were just he covered sacks, right? Like that's not pressure. I care about consistent pressure. Getting four sacks on C.J. Stroud means you maybe hit him on 10% of the snaps. Maybe. I need to see them hitting him, getting in his face. It's not so much hitting him as also, Ryan, where it's, I don't want C.J. Stroud making a lot of clean throws. Comfortable. I don't care if it's pressures where you don't hit him, pressures you do hit him, sacks, batted balls, whatever. I want C.J. mentally not comfortable. Because here's the thing. Let's because Notre Dame's got some length. So let's say Foskey bats a ball down and then and then Riley Mills bats a ball down. So what's CJ thinking? Like these guys are really long. I got to get this ball up. Well, what happens when it gets the ball up? 
Well, there's the sidearm, but I mean, he may not be able to do that on certain throws. He's trying to throw an out cut or an in cut or a curl route. And he's got these six, five guys. So we think I got to get a little bit higher. Well, what can happen? Ball sails. Clarence is playing cover three. The ball goes over the curl route's head. Clarence is there to pick it off, right? Didn't hit him, but the disruption caused a mistake, right? And that's what I care about. I don't care about sacks. If I Isaiah Foskey gets two sacks, and they're not meaningful, or those are the only two pressures they have on him all day, or if they get, to your point, Ryan, four sacks, but you only had seven pressures all day, guess what? C.J. Stroud's going to have a big day. Big day. It just – now, Now the nice thing about sacks, however, Ryan, is those can mean – if you get four sacks, and they are a bunch of third-down sacks, well, guess what that means? So that's three or four series where you got off the field. So, again, I'm not saying they're not important if they're meaningful. Now, if you get five sacks and they're all key sacks, getting off the field on third down, first down sacks that then lead to getting off the field, that's great. I'm all for that. It just doesn't do – it just it isn't the end-all, be-all is where I'm coming from. So I don't want to make it seem like sacks don't matter. It's just the number without context is irrelevant to me. Okay. It's got to come within the framework of just constant disruption. And that's the only chance you have. And in my opinion, we talk about the secondary and all that. We're talking more big picture. When we get down to the nitty gritty of the Ohio State matchup, I expect the secondary to get beat sometimes. And it's not going to be about the secondary that determines that game. It's going to be the front. Can they get to CJ consistently? Can they shut down the run game? Can they get in CJ's face consistently and make his life miserable and make him uncomfortable? I don't care how many yards he throws for if that's the case because they will make enough stops to give their offense a shot to win the game. And then now it comes down to can their offense score on Ohio State's defense. So I care about those type of things much, much more so than I care about anything else. So, um, But that's why I wouldn't let Ryan say it first because you know I knew he was going to look at it from, from a number standpoint and he knew I was going to look at it from a different standpoint. So yes. I, I, if I felt if I went with mine first, kind of negates whatever you're going to say next, and I don't think that's fair. And I think it also can be misleading to what my actual point is. Mm-hmm. Fighting Irish fan ninety nine B Ryan, what are your realistic expectations for JD Bertrand this year, given his length limitation? How close was he to his ceiling last year, in your opinion? It's a very good question, Ryan. Uh, so from Fighting Irish fan ninety one, so you want to take a crack at that one? Yeah, I mean, first, first to answer the second question first, I don't believe he was at his ceiling because I think that there were a lot of plays that were left on the field by J.D. Bertrand, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think J.D. Bertrand is a very intelligent football player, and there are definitely some limitations to his length. Like, there's no doubt about it. But I think playing a Mike linebacker position where you're going to keep things more condensed more often than not, not playing in as much space. I think he has a much higher upside as a Mike than he does as a Will. So I think there were positive moments to what we saw last year, but I think that J.D. Bertrand has the potential to be a much better player at Mike than he was this past year. So I don't think we've seen a ceiling because I think that playing Will linebacker limits his ceiling, if I'm being honest. I think that Mike gives him the best opportunity to be an impactful football player. So I think that there's still a level to J.D. that could be much better. I think there's a level to consistency that could be much better. And I think the Mike linebacker position unlocks a little more upside than he has compared to what he, we saw at Will last year for J.D. Mm-hmm. Bertrand. I think for me, Ryan, when I look at J.D., I think, to your point, there's a lot of technical improvement that can be made. But then also the change to Mike, more primarily if that happens, gets him out of space. 
And getting him out of space is the big thing. I think he played a little bit out of position last year. And, and I think that's a big key for me is getting him in a place where he can play in a condensed area where that lack of length isn't the big, as big of a problem. Like, for example, his length got exposed more last year than Drew White's. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Drew White doesn't have J.D. Bertrand's length. No. So why? Because J.D. was playing in space, Drew was playing in the box more often than not. And so that's the other part, too, is, is when you get J.D. in the box, clean up some of the tackling stuff. He's coming from Mike, so he's not kind of that space guy. I think that's where you're going to see a jump in production. And I think those are the things that that are, are why we think that J.D. does have another level. Plus, let's not forget, last year was the first year he'd ever really taken a meaningful snap of college football, too. And, and guys, just experience is going to make guys a little bit better. So I don't think he's – I don't think he's cl- – he is what he is athletically. Right. I mean, he's not going to all of a sudden go run a four four next year. He's not going to look like Jeremiah Usukormo or Jalen Smith. But I think there's a lot of things ex- experientially, a lot of things fundamentally, and a lot of things in regards to putting him in a position to be successful that best fits his game. That I think he can play a lot better than he did last year. And I thought he was a pretty solid football player last year, especially against certain types of offenses. The thing is, as a Mike, that's pretty much every week for him for the most part. Right. Whereas at Will, it was like there's some weeks he could play his game, and other weeks. He's basically like a glorified rover because of the way teams spread him out. And that's not where you want him to be. That's not where you want him to be. So we got a question down here from Archer452, resident Ohio State fan. Uh, B. Ryan, if you had to rank the three biggest wild card positions this year, would it be one DB, two receiver, three quarterback? It's f- rank them as uh, the one that we're most confident in? Or? I just, I, I would say maybe let's, let's do it both. Let's say what's the, okay. I, cause I think what he's saying, I'm getting the impression from how he phrased it based on what we've said is he's saying, what's the one we're most concerned with ranking in one to three from what are the ones we're the mo- we're most concerned with? That would be my, my thought. Gotcha. Well, I, I would actually reverse one and two for me, and it's mostly because of the wide receiver depth that we have the issues with right now. It's not a talent issue for me, but I would say number one is wide receiver just because Notre Dame's to the point where an injury or two and you're in a really, really difficult spot. Defensive back has things to figure out from a rotational perspective and a volume share perspective, but there's still talent in that room and there's still enough depth where I'm not worried about it, especially when you have a Brandon Joseph, when you have a Cam Hart, those guys answer a lot of question marks. So I would put that that, uh, defensive back at number two, and then I would say three is quarterback for me. I am only worried about quarterback because Tyler Buckner plays a style where durability may be a concern at times, and he hasn't played a ton of football recently, but I think he has the potential to be a star. At worst, I think he's going to be a very dynamic element to the offense so i'm not really worried about quarterback it's just a question mark until it's not a question mark anymore right my that's my thing my only question mark is health i I, again i could be wrong i think tyler buckner's gonna be really good this year how good is really good that that remains to be i mean that there's a scale there right there's really good in that he looks like a better throwing version of brandon wimbush that's one version of pretty a very good then there's bryce young (laughs) and cj stroud as second year players there's a lot of good football in between there. I mean, if he just looks like a, you know, his style of play of, of, of a Tyler Van Dyke, that's reasonable, right? Like, cause this is the thing is like, well, if he's not CJ Stroud or, 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 Ty, or Bryce Young, then he's not good. I feel like that's the kind of boxes we've created. Well, Hey, if he's just as good as what Tyler Van Dyke was last year with his running ability, Hey, guess what guys, 
that's going to be a really, really good offense, right? Like there's other second-year quarterbacks that we've seen be pretty good football players that weren't elite. They weren't special. Now, I, I'm projecting Tyler Van Dyke to be that this year because I'm, 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 I like him. I don't know if I love him as, as an NFL prospect like some people do, but as a college football player, I like Tyler Van Dyke a lot. And, and you know, what I liked about him last year, we've talked about this, is his two worst games, he followed up the next week with really good games. That shows me something. Is Tyler Buckner going to be able to show that? He's going to have a bad game this year, y'all. Maybe a few. That's just that's what young quarterbacks do. What does he do after that? That's going to be the thing that tells us what Notre Dame has in Tyler Buckner. And, you know, that's, that's you know, that that's because, and this isn't a, a knock on Bryce Young because Bryce Young is brilliant. Everybody knows how I feel about Bryce Young. But it's a little easier for Bryce Young to not have those type of bad games because of what he's surrounded by. But even him last year, I don't think he played very well against Texas A&M. His numbers were mm-hmm. two, 369 yards and three touchdowns, but he had a 58.3 completion percentage, 7.7 yards per attempt. That's not very good. You know what he did the next week? He destroyed Mississippi State. Like, it's those kind of things that are going to define Tyler Buckner's season. He's going to have off games, just like every quarterback has off games. Guess what? Bryce Young played like garbage against Auburn. Garbage. Do you know what he did the next week? He torched the best defense in college football. Torched the best defense in college football in Georgia in the SEC title game. That's what I want to see, Ryan. I want to see kids that do that. I want to see kid, a kid from Tyler Buckner that it, when he does have a bad game, and it will happen, what does he do to bounce back? That's going to determine just how good he is this year. And then the, the other part is he's got to stay healthy. Yes, that, That's my biggest wild card part of this whole – I don't even view him as a wild card as a player. I only view him as a wild card. Is he going to be able to answer the bell series after series and game after game? That's my only – part of this wild card conversation for this first two spot on I but I'm actually a little bit more concerned about receiver than I am the secondary same the depth in the secondary is way better you have more proven players there and if a guy goes down there you're in better position to have people step in than you are receiver and the health issues at receiver right now are a problem you know, can Joe Wilkins answer the bell for 13 game, 12 games in the regular season this year? Can Jane Thomas stay healthy? Something he has not done since his sophomore year of high school. I, I don't know the answer to that. Can Braden Lindsay stay healthy? He did it last year. Can he do it again this year? There are so many question marks about that. A receiver, Deion Colsey, has been banged up all camp. And the secondary, you don't really have that in secondary. You know, Cam Hart's had some some health issues. I think it was shoulder last year and you know, the the thing he's dealing with now, which isn't a, a, a serious, serious thing, like not a long-term thing. But for the most part, the secondary's been healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas receiver, I mean, other than Lorenzo Styles, name me a receiver that doesn't have some sort of checkered injury passed on on, on there. There, yeah. there isn't one. <laughs> there isn't one. And that's, well, Xavier Watts now, but that's it. That's it. And they had to move him from another position to, to get to that point in time. So, um you know, that's where we are. So let me just kind of go through your Ryan and see if there's any other questions that we can get to here before we jump out. I just want to make sure I don't pass any. And there's a lot of good questions, but I just want to make sure. Uh, here's an interesting one. Berkshire Yank, how big of a leash does Tyler Buckner have? At what point does he get pulled? I am not a fan of that, and BK did it a lot. That's why I'm so glad that Brian Kelly's in Louisiana. Oh, by the way, all the LSU fans, I can't wait to watch how Brian Kelly – I can't wait to see how you react to how Brian Kelly handles quarterbacks in his career. That's going to be a lot of fun because he did that at Cincinnati too. 
I mean, like we were talking about this in the show the other day. You know, he got this reputation of being an offensive genius because of what he did at Cincinnati. But people forget his his offense in 2008 was kind of a hot mess, you know, and you had some of it was was quarterback injuries and and there was a whole lot of issues to it. But, you know, they weren't a great offense at Cincinnati. They were just kind of OK until that previous year, even even 07 when they had Ben Malk at quarterback. They were a good offense, but they weren't an elite offense. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. At least I didn't think so. Uh, they had some they had some games that kind of, you know, they finished that year uh, ranked see here 16th in points per game and a lot of that was because they they hung a 59 spot on southeast missouri state you know i mean so um, you know it was good offense but they were inconsistent they had 52 one week and then 17 against pitt and just you know it was was good it was good they scored 31 against southern miss you know um but uh, how he's handled quarterbacks has always been a bit of an issue to me since he's been at the d1 level anyway we've already seen we've already seen it with the miles brennan situation if we're being honest yeah i know right yeah yeah Yeah, those those that was a weird deal i i got part of me wants to like not even respond to that because i don't know what really happened but it's just kind of like well seen that before uh but you know i don't want to get too further into that because i don't know specifics of what happened or how it happened or what he was promised or wasn't promised or whatever else but i can only imagine yeah i can only imagine well, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to uh, to for Ryan for being with us today. Reminder, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. So, sign up for the message board, y'all. I'm telling you, it's a lot of fun. Definitely want to hit that no- notification bell. I'm going to hammer that one again, Ryan, because we are going to go live sometime here. Uh, the next couple hours, we're not quite sure when or what or whatever else. And I don't keep beating that horse, but just be ready for it. Okay. Uh, and that's why you get hit the notification bell. We schedule a show, you get a notification, and we're ready to rock and roll. So uh, hopefully we'll see you all again here later this afternoon, and we'll definitely, definitely see you all tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We're going to have some fun tomorrow, everybody. We're going to talk about the all-opponent teams. Okay, well, That's what we're going to dive into tomorrow. Uh, the all-opponent teams for Notre Dame. Who are the best players on offense and defense that Notre Dame is going to face this year? And then where would Notre Dame players fit into that? If we were going to include Notre Dame as part of that conversation, too, uh, I think that would be a lot of fun as well. So that's going to do it for today, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you here in a little bit. Thank you so much for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Sign up for CFB Nation Podcast as well. We'll talk to you all very, very soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.